Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Sock Takes Podcast. For once, I'm hosting. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm not I'm not good enough to do this because the guy who regularly hosts is much better, and his name is Kevin Johnston. Kevin, welcome to the Sock Takes Pod. Lies, my friend. All lies. How you doing, dude? Doing great. Ready for another episode. The guy who's never ready for any episodes, because <laughs> I don't know what he's doing most of the time, is our other co-host, the one and only sweetest of babies, Aaron Gunyan. Aaron, what's going on? I agree with pretty much everything that he just said. <laughs> uh, everything's going fine here. I'm ready to podcast. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I may have had a little bit of confusion over, over the timing. Maybe, but I'm here now and I'm ready to perform at the best of my abilities. Thanks a lot for having me. Always a pleasure, Aaron. Always a pleasure. And it is a genuine pleasure to have our guest for today. Uh, Nick is someone I uh, have talked on uh, talked to on Twitter a couple of times, and we actually met up at a Dayton Dynamo uh, game for FC Buffalo. Uh, Nick Mandola is the co-owner of FC Buffalo. He also writes for NBC Soccer and is a generally a good dude. Who uh, we'll start with this, Nick. First of all, welcome. And why don't you tell us really quick, quick quickly about some really good news? that happened with your family over Christmas break. Congratulations, and why don't you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, thanks, Nipun, uh, and, and thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, so my wife and I, uh, we have a seven-year-old son, and when he was about two or three, we, we decided that um, the right approach for our family would be to add through adoption, and it took a long, long time, but uh, last July, we welcomed uh, boys into our house as quote-unquote foster children, um, for lack of a better term, and we adopted them formally on December 21st, and um, it's awesome to have the family uh, complete, God willing. I mean, you never know, right, production, but um, we, it, it has been great, and I recommend it to anybody who is considering it, and um, I'm almost as passionate now about adoption as I am about soccer, so um, follow me, DM me, all that. I'll be happy to tell you why adoption's awesome. That's pretty awesome. So how many how many kids do you have now? Uh, the three now? Three, yeah. Uh, Asher, uh, Elliot, and Gianluca. We call him Gigi. Uh, or I'm sorry, John Luigi. <laughs> and we call him Gigi. Still get used to their names. Still get used to their names. The Sock Takes family also has a baby of our own. Aaron has been blessed by a baby girl. About, well, Aaron, how old is Piper now? Four months? Piper's five and a half months now. God, she's getting old. She got a job. Oh, she's... She's uh, not pulling her weight. I will tell you that. We need interns, so if you want her to come work for FC Buffalo, um, <laughs> she has to relocate. But I, that I sounds know, good. I know several in her peer group. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, a genuine pleasure to have you on, and we are uh, going to fly through because we have so many things we want to ask you, and we only have about 30 minutes to do it. So I want to start very quickly uh, with some news that Sock Takes broke, and we don't we're not asking you to confirm it, uh, but Softix broke a news story yesterday uh, that that revealed that Miami FC is likely or is going to play in the NPSL and that announcement is going to be made uh, in uh, next week. So if that were to happen, Nick, uh, we don't need to ask you whether it will, but if it were to happen, uh, how do you see it affecting the league? Do you think it's a good thing? How do you react to, to that news? Yeah, so I don't, I, I, it's, I don't, 
I can't confirm nor deny, but I can I can go at it at the same theoretical way that you do. I think it's great. Um, I mean, first of all, I love the idea of FC Buffalo being good enough to um, one day meet Paula Maldini, right? So uh, not that you know. So I mean, I guess we have to be uh, we have to like win our conference, and then hopefully they'll host us because I'd rather go to Miami. But um, yeah, I. I I think it's good. Um, there are certainly obviously ways uh, I'll hedge it by saying there are ways that anything can go poorly, but, um, it was kind of like when Adriano died a couple of years ago, the first thing you thought was, I hope they're good enough to, uh, to end up playing them one day. Um, what Miami FC, the people behind it and, and Ricardo Silva have done in terms of, um, you know, expanding the way people think about things or prodding the discussion in, in American soccer, I think they're phenomenal. And if you ask me, like, uh, out of the NASL, NASL side, who are the ones I've paid closest attention to? And I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, Nipun. Um, Miami is one and Indy 11 is another. Indy because um, when we were there a few years ago to play Indy 11B, uh, Mersal and um, Peter... Uh, had myself and my co-owner Scott into a box, and and took, uh, our whole team came to the game, and um, you know they just chatted us about how to grow our team. So um, you're talking about two two clubs there that have made a lot of noise. In Miami's case, to have them as a part of our league, I don't know that I'd love them if they were a member of our conference, mm-hmm. but um, but that's just from a competitive standpoint. I, I I can't see at this point how it'll be bad. How do you? So obviously you work with a lot of these kids who are in your team and. You know, we talked at the Dayton Dynamo game about how important that is to you to see how you can help advance these the careers of these kids and, and you know, them as human beings. So how do you think that would, uh, Miami FC joining that the Sunshine Conference would affect the other, the players of the other teams in that conference? Sure. So, um, I mean, largely, I think it'll be a thrill. And I'm not just saying that to, to cover over it. I mean, in certain cases, they'll be bummed, right? If, they, if you lose to Miami, because I don't know if they're, you know, obviously, um, I don't know if they're bringing, uh, I'm trying to think of former Miami FC players. I don't know if, if they're going to have Hunter Freeman and, and Lavelle Palmer and they've, they've signed for people anyways, but you get the idea. Um, I mean, that'll be a challenge, but I mean, the rising tide, you know, raises all boats. That's idea. Uh, our guys, we would used to scrimmage. Uh, we would have a friendly or a scrimmage, depending on if the crowd was there. That's what you call it against the Rochester Rhinos every year. And, you know, there are times we lost one nothing. Uh, there are times we lost 5 nothing. But for the most part, your players are getting better. They're playing in front of staffs, and they're playing in front of eyes that have a better chance to judge them. So um, the same way that we might out-recruit a, we might out-recruit a club in our area by, hey, we've got better people on our roster and, and training is going to be dynamite, I think the same applies to a game. So there might be some hyper-competitive people who are bummed because they're matching up against, you know, Richie Ryan instead of um, uh, you know, Pablo from Akron University. But for the most part, I have to imagine it's an enjoyable experience. And uh, KJ, KJ, do you have something? Sure. Yeah, first of all, uh, that was a great first question. Uh, fun sock takes, random fact of the day. Uh, I was actually adopted myself, so I'm glad to hear that, Nick. It's a great story. Um, congrats to you and your family. Uh, and you said that you're very interested in just adoption period, so anytime you're sharing any uh, adoption-related material online, feel free to tag me, and I'll be happy to retweet. So Awesome, man. Um, that said, 
Uh, one of your one of FC Buffalo's supporters is a celebrity, and it all started, uh, from what I understand, uh, when you were form- forming the team. You were brainstorming ideas. I think fans were given input, and one of the names thrown out was the Blitzers uh, for local famous resident Wolf Blitzer of CNN. Um, and it, it sounded like you got quite a bit of traction. I think you guys even got a cameo on on CNN. And I think Wolf even has come out and met you guys and connected with the supporters um, on a couple occasions. So can you just talk about how that came to fruition and the relationship you've built with Wolf Blitzer? Sure. So it's kind of crazy um, in the way it went down is, is we wanted our, our fan nickname or our team nickname to be supporter generated. Um, but obviously, when you're a new team, unless you're a club that, you know, wants to buy fans, uh, you have a limited amount of supporters. So how do you generate buzz? Well, let's have a, you know, a nickname contest. Let's let the fans choose it. We put a bunch up there and, you know, we wanted to have something lightning related because it was in our, um, it was in our, our, our city's crest, the Buffalo City flag, which our logo draws heavily from. And what happened was... We were looking up lightning-related terms, and one, obviously, and nefariously, was Blitzkrieg from, you know, previous world wars. Um, And we were like, well, well, maybe Blitzers. That's kind of a joke. And then we put it up there because Wolf went to Kenmore West High School. My co-owner and I went to Kenmore East High School. They're they're pretty significant rivals athletically. And um, Wolf also went to UB, uh, the University of Buffalo, which is also where Scott and I went. And so I don't know who grabbed it. But the poll that we had online uh, was ended up sharing by fans of Wolf Blitzer on like Facebook and Twitter. And all of a sudden we saw this gigantic spike and we thought it was kind of great. And, you know, our fans kind of started running with it. And then what what really took off was Barack Obama at the time in his first term, um, I guess. Yeah, it is still his first term. He was in town. And so CNN was in town. And at the time I was a reporter and I got a call. I was covering the event and said, hey, look, are you going to be here because we want to surprise Wolf with uh, with a little interview about it? And they told him the story. And, yeah, we ended up on CNN. And at that point, um, I mean, we weren't ever going to rig anything, but it, you didn't have to anymore. Like it was going to win at that point. So <laughs> um, and so it won. And then a few years later, CNN was doing a story on Roots and Wolf's parents operated a deli. Uh, right down the street from where our official supporters bar is, Mass K. And, um, you know, Wolf stopped in and we let slip to a few of our diehards that he was going to be there. So by the time he walked in, they were singing the songs that had the term Blitzers in it. And uh, he was getting scarves from us. He was getting scarves from uh, from our, our supporters group, the Situation Room. He was getting scarves from buffalo spurs who are still holding that over the buffalo gunners so it was um (laughs) it was just a it was a really cool thing it was in its own way organic and um you know we have uh, here's my call out to anyone listening uh it's not the least expensive thing we can do but we do have permission to make a wolf blitzer bobblehead doll we're just trying to find that sponsor (laughs) so uh anybody's interested we can get that done i'm interested I'd definitely purchase one of those, so make it happen. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, KJ, anything else before we move to Aaron? Yeah, you got anything, Aaron? 
Well, that's not how that question was supposed to go, but yeah. <laughs> hey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Special episode 39. So I have questions, obviously, relating to the business of NPSL and, and fits in and the grand scheme of things. I want to ask you a question that I asked. I'm totally name dropping just to get cool points. I asked Alexi Lawless this the other day. You know, I said, what do you see as your role? In American soccer, what do you see as your kind of mission statement? What what motivates you through your day to day process with your team and with your writing with NBC Soccer? Wow. So I'll start with the team um, because we were already on that on that wavelength. Um, with the team, it's really changed over time. When we first started the team, I I knew we had the possibility by by our market size and sort of we did have some media savvy. Again, my co owner was also a, a former media guy. Um, from his days in college, and you know, I thought we could be um, we could be flag holders for you know smaller soccer teams. Uh, that's changed. I mean, Detroit City has uh, destroyed everyone, and they've met you know Chattanooga, um, and frankly, those are I think the two fourth tier sides that are really, um, really electric, um, truly electric. So now. Uh, you know, I believe our role is to is to be the right cog in the machine, and and you know, if we if we get to the level, I've often referred to soccer around here, and this will segue neatly into my NBC phrase. We're still in the wild west of soccer uh, in America. It's a, it's a massive challenge, and we're seeing it with the NASL right now. We're seeing it with the USL right now. There are so many little things that happen that seem like monumental mistakes, or monumental successes that had they happened to the NFL or the NHL or Major League Baseball in their infancy, and I'm sure they did, they weren't nearly as magnified, right? Like, so the, in my opinion, um, and I like a lot of what the USL has done, um, a colossal mistake of naming teams B teams like they were Barcelona B, um, I, I thought was hugely, a huge disadvantage to teams like the Rhinos and the Charleston Battery or, or whoever, right? Uh, I'm sure I'm mixing up uh, eras now, but that, is not really a major mistake, right? It's it's something that happens when a league is in its first 20 years. And yet these things get exploded. So um, my, my personal opinion there is is I hope that FC Buffalo can, can be a legitimate frame of reference. And I think you guys do a good job of this. Napoon, specifically, who I've known for longer, is trying to frame things so it's not the end of the world, right? So the NASL has a lot of fans. MLS has a lot of fans. USL has a lot of fans. And a lot of times, people think they have to be diametrically opposed. Um, they don't, right? <laughs> I mean, they really, really don't. But the point I'm, I always make is you can hate everybody equally, and that's what I do. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, <laughs> and love everyone equally, <laughs> right? It is Sunday. But um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys there. Uh, but the same thing for NBC Sports Soccer. So uh, on, a, on a different scale, covering and writing about the Premier League, and I use the covering term loosely, uh, I love when I read about um, some sort of these myopic people who talk about managerial changes uh, like they're legitimately going to save a season or, oh, you got to bring in big Sam Allardyce now. I'm like, no, you don't. Um, and so <laughs> I, I think if you can take a deep breath and relax and sit back and um, and frame things for people, uh, maybe it helps them sit back, relax, and frame their opinions in this sort of instant information society we live in. 
Yeah, you you sound like you've got a, a lot of ideas and, and you've been involved with the sport for a while. With starting your team, FC Buffalo, in the NPSL, you've realized how easy it is to run a lower division soccer team. So I want you to explain just how easy it is uh, for all the people listening, anything you've learned, again, about how phenomenally easy it is to, to start and keep a team going. Well, so first off, I believe I'm fortunate, I'm blessed, whatever term you choose to use, that um, I did not grow up a soccer guy. I played soccer when I was five or six years old, um, was just on the wrong team for it, and hated it. Didn't get back into it till I was in high school. Um, and then I fell in love with it, because it is, uh, this is a very, uh, I guess, North North American or Canadian thing to say, or maybe even Swedish. Um, soccer is, is hockey's de-equipmented, de-equipped, I should say, cousin. Uh, and my first love was hockey. And so it was easy for me when starting to run this team. About the only thing that was easy about starting to run this team with my partners was uh, looking at soccer with outside eyes and realizing quickly that um, you want guys who live for it, especially at this level. Uh, and I'm talking about players and fans. The other people will come. Uh, if you have everybody but a striker, because strikers, right, they're known for being mercurial and not necessarily always committed to both ends of the pitch. If you have everybody pulling in one direction, um, you're going to get the rest. So those that, that was the only easy part, but I believe only easy because I was an outsider. It must be hard for someone who starts a team at 28 like I did, but spent those 28 years calm, or, or, uh, culling their opinions and, and formulating the best possible, uh, you know, this is how we will run soccer in America. I didn't have that. Um, I was a member of American Outlaws. Before that, I was America's Sam's Army, or a member of Sam's, Sam's Army. The hard part is money um, every time. And I believe that's one of the reasons you see a lot of decent clubs fail, not just because of money, but because, and a lot of clubs never reach any sort of supported mass. And that's because if you're a, and this is with respect to teams that are even in our league, if you're just the extension of a youth club, and you're basically the next one more level of money you can get from players, um, then you might have a decent team, but it's going to be very difficult for you to be a team that everybody cares about. And so you might have uh, better facilities. You might have a coach who's better paid, and you might have players who have played together for a while, and those things are all great. But will you ever have what other clubs have, and I'm not going to take credit for this with FC Buffalo, are you ever going to have a club that fans know your, your owners are sinking every dollar they have and, and, and then some into trying to provide a product for you, into trying to provide a club for you, a team? Um, I hate that I use the term product, but you get the I mean product more in the sense of mathematically of this, um, this evolution of or this, this combination of factors. Um, but money is always hard. I mean, we, um, we can only have so many home games. Um, our budget is going to be a combination of the corporate sponsors we've uh, we've compiled um, that want to work with us and are awesome enough to work with us and how many home games we can have, right? And and but also how much you need to charge for tickets that is going to get you onto the next season when league dues naturally and this is nothing against the NPSL or PDL or USL, league dues are always going to go up because that's how businesses work. So um, 
money is by far the trickiest thing. You can have a very well supported club, um, but you know, I think you see it in a sense with maybe the Boston Breakers, and that's a different story with women's soccer and and a, a very difficult nut to crack. But you can have a club that a lot of people like. Um, you may not be able to meet uh, independently, support or run, so to speak. You may not be able to meet the, the demands because everybody, and I'm rambling here and I'm sorry, but everybody at FC Buffalo, our ownership group, we've never had anybody wealthy in the group. We've had guys who at the end of the year, you know, you have a, you have a, a forum amongst your owners and say, hey, look, we all got to pitch in a thousand bucks or else we can't have a team next year. Um, those teams, I believe, if they're run by passion, um, they may have a better chance of success in the long run, real success. So what's the next evolution for you guys as a team? How do you force MLS to crumble and uh, bend to your will and accept ProRel from, from your division? I guess I'm leading a little bit. Maybe I'm leading a lot. But how are you going to take down MLS? I'll take my question off the air. I'll try and keep this as short as possible. Um, I, I don't look at it that way anymore. And it's not because I love MLS, and it's not because I don't think we can do that via ProRel. Um, I look at it the same way I might look at, and not to get too political, but the same way I might look at Occupy Wall Street. Um, it, we need to succeed if we want to have any chance at toppling something gigantic. Um, and I'm not saying you should want to topple Wall Street or you shouldn't want to top. You know, I'm just I'm I'm using this as, as a as a case study. If we, I will happily talk to anybody about it off the air. But if you want to succeed, you have to keep that fervor and if you have to keep that fire burning. And it's almost an interesting case study um, in terms of uh, a sort of soccer populism. Um, if everybody wants something to happen, it'll happen. But it's going to take sustained, um, sustained love, sustained passion, sustained support that becomes systemic. That is alliteration at its finest. But um, that I think is where I approach it. I, you know, Ricardo Silva again. I mentioned him, him twice now. Uh, he had the silver bullet, and we saw how difficult it was for anybody to accept that silver bullet. Imagine, though, five years from now that this sentiment that pro-rel for USA has bred and this sentiment that, that we're all maybe fomenting a little bit, imagine it's still there, that teams have entered their respective leagues with the same amount of passion, and now Ricardo Silva comes around with the same offer, and there's a different president of U.S. soccer. And it's not to say the president was necessarily the problem. I think we all know that's a big organization, but there's a different president and a different board, and all of a sudden, somebody comes around and says, wow, that's a lot of money. We can use that to develop the women's game. We can use that to make youth soccer more affordable in the city. And now we've got a better program in the city and in underserved communities. We've got these much better programs that that money is not being wasted on some guy making six figures to you know, sit on his ass and, um, and say, well, I don't know if we can support this particular project. Um, when all that happens... Um, and the base underneath it is, 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 is fervent. I think we'll be in good shape. And just to add one thing to that, if, you know, if Napoleon has done his job as a reporter and as a fan, and you guys have done your jobs as reporters and fans and fans have, have not just, 
you know, if they put an MLS team in Detroit and everybody keeps going to the city games, which I believe they probably will, maybe, maybe, I mean, they'll certainly take a hit from that, but the fervent fans still go there. It'll tell the rest of the world that clubs are bigger than a monolith. Um, and frankly, my hope, given what MLS has done in 20 years, which is very impressive, is that it won't be about toppling MLS. It'll about MLS becoming inclusive and um, and getting maybe nothing, uh, not, not making a judgment on Don Garber here, but maybe having the same sort of big change that we've seen uh, potentially this month with U.S. soccer. Yeah, you definitely, you better not say anything about Don Garber because he pays to keep this podcast alive. So <laughs> you're not saying anything. Hey, Don. Hey, Don. Uh, so we're running short on time, and I want to ask you one more question before we let you go. Okay. Um, the question I want to ask you is, the and Aaron kind of indirectly asked this too, kind of the future of NPSL. Some of the things, uh, you know, Joe Baroni told us on the record last year was they were, thinking about doing a, a longer season play. Um, you know, I, I uh, Socrates interviewed a few owners, uh, mostly off the record, uh, mostly on background, and they gave us their thoughts on, on this. Some people spoke on the record. So it's kind of a mixed bag with the full season play. Where do you land on it, Nick? And um, not only for FC Buffalo, in terms of the league, do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's difficult to ascertain or difficult to implement? So I, I have to be careful what I share, but I'm gonna, I think this is fair to share. The people that they have heading it up, uh, I know every team in our league has, has been quizzed on a longer season. And the people that they have kind of plugged in, especially one, to see what's feasible and what's not are the right, the, the right people for the job. And so um, the challenge will be sorting out which teams go and which teams don't. Uh, and which, uh, how are you allowing this expanded season? Because right now, for example, FC Buffalo, the advantage that the NPSL has, especially in our region, over any other league, is they have cultivated a close-knit group. And I don't mean close-knit in terms of vibe, because uh, maybe you hate the team that's 20 minutes away, but a close-knit uh, travel cost. When we were, let me give you perspective, in 2010 was our first season. We were the westernmost team, and our conference was new. There was a team in New Jersey, a team in Maryland, three or four teams in eastern Pennsylvania, and the Erie Admirals, who became our rival. Maybe they became our rival almost exclusively because they were the only one that we could see on a map. Um, and that was incredibly difficult. If a league had come around and done what they had today, Almost, I don't want to say regardless of, of stature, but if they said, look, we've got some stable teams and your conference is going to be Rochester, Syracuse, um, you know, at the time, maybe Southern Ontario, Niagara Falls, Erie, um, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, it would have been very difficult for us not to at least very seriously consider that. So that's, that's first and foremost. However, now, if they're picking teams that want to go to the extended season and our travel budget, which has gone from that New Jersey era of uh, tens of thousands of dollars to maybe ten to fifteen thousand uh, dollars. Now, all of a sudden, the leagues that want it, the guys that want to be in this longer league and give us more games 
all of a sudden involve what? Flying to Milwaukee? Um, you know, flying to Miami? Flying to Maine? Or taking 15 to 20 hour drives that limits which players can go? Uh, that becomes a challenge. So I would love if our conference just said, yeah, we'll be we'll be full season. Let's let's all go up there. It's the best thing that could happen to us. I know for a fact at least one would not do that. And now are you going to double or triple my budget? So that, I think, is the number one concern for a club like us, I should say, not for the whole league, because we want this. We want this very badly. Do you think it's uh, so just speculating how many teams and uh, based on the AGM, I'm sure you guys discussed it at some level, how many teams in the league percentage wise ballpark figure 50%, 75% do you think would be or 10% would be on board with full season play? Oh, I think it's going to change geographically. I think it's really tricky. I, I think if you told somebody uh, if you told somebody, there there are a couple of mitigating factors. One is people who want to use the same roster all year round, um, because you'll only have access to college players from May until August, or, or people that want to use pro. So there are other mitigating factors. I don't mean to make it just about geography. And frankly, most of the people you speak with, unless you've become friends with them from other AGMs, most of the time spent at an AGM is with your conference. And I think our conference, I can't tell you whether our conference is a good example or a bad example, but I would imagine that if you use our conference as an example, um, the number would be more than half. And it might be significantly more than half, but it would be more than half. However, you know, pick a conference. And are those teams offshoots of youth academies? Because then they may not have any interest. Um, do those teams not have fan bases and adding a home game does nothing for them to increase rental prices? Um, then they might not add on at all. But um, I, I, it is very complicated. And that's why I am grateful that the NPSL did not say, we're going to do this this summer with the teams that want to do it. And, and look, we'll build on our failures. We'll fix our mistakes. No, they're, they're doing their best to make sure that if and when they implement this, it's with the least amount of mistakes as possible. Um, so, gentlemen, we're going to have to let Nick go at this point. But Nick, Did before... I talk no, no, the, it, it's just that time flies when you're talking about soccer. And also, uh, we have limitations, you know, because Don Garber only provides so much bandwidth and we can't keep. <laughs> Look, I know he just texted you. Nipun, I know he just texted you and said uh, Mandola might have said something about me. So. Exactly. He just texted me. <laughs> Did he say something bad about MLS? Get him off the show. I'm just following Donnie's instructions. But uh, <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for joining us, my man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find you and how they can support FC Buffalo. Sure. So I'm on Twitter, at Nicholas Mandolo, but I really don't. Uh, I, I want you to follow at FC Buffalo because um, you know I really care about that. And I think we're building something special here. So... Um, Please uh, uh, find us there, but support Sock Takes. I know you guys, I know they're on Patreon, and um, I, I appreciate not just them, but all sites that are doing what they're doing. Um, and so I guess, yeah, support us, please, and, and ask us any questions you want, but let's, um, let's build it in every part of the country. So wherever you're listening from right now, find your local team. I don't care if they're at the top level or if they're at our level. 
or if they're in the eighth division, do something to get them to the next level today. So, and in our case, that's the FC Buffalo store. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. Way to stick that in there. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us, and, and we'll, we'll chat soon. Uh, it was a pleasure, guys. Thank you. So, guys, uh, we say goodbye to, to Nick, but we have business to get to. We need to talk about Indy 11. We need to talk about uh, some transfer that were made, KJ. KJ, let's start off with, uh, why don't you tell our listeners which players have been uh, signed by Indy 11? Sure. So, earlier this week, Indy 11 announced three defensive signings. Um, Rainer, Ferreira, Kevin Venegas, and Brad Rusin. The vibe I get from these three signings is that the 11 got themselves two immediate starters and some center back depth. Uh, I believe that uh, Ferreira and Venegas uh, are going to be starting um, center back and with Venegas at right back, um, almost certain, because, you know, Ferreira, he led the league in interceptions last year in the NASL playing for the San Francisco Deltas, Um, 31 starts. 2,708 minutes was named to the 2017 NASL best 11. So that's absolutely no brainer. He's starter quality. So I think we'll see Rainer Ferreira. Definitely. Um, you can go ahead and cement him into a starting center back role. And I think Brad Rusin, he's kind of a mixed bag because head coach Martin Rennie actually discovered this guy and kind of brought him up from obscurity um, to the Carolina Railhawks. So, he struggled with injuries. I know in, in 2016, he was returning from a very bad injury. He only made like six or seven appearances. Um, did not play a minute at um, all of last year in 2017 for Miami FC. Of course, that's it was a very good team. So um, considering that he is, quote unquote, Rennie's guy, maybe there's a chance that if he's fully healthy and fit, he maybe could be in play to, to snag that other center back starting spot. But I think it's more of a bench depth thing. So look for Rusin to kind of be the, the third or fourth CB uh, on the bench. Uh, and as far as Venegas, this guy's been with Minnesota United FC for several years, back when they were in the NASL, and then also last year when they were in, in MLS. So he's got good experience, good pedigree. He only made six appearances last year, but every single one was a start. He got, he got one start early. Um, kind of fell out of the rotation. And then in June 2017, he made a string of five starts in a row. So from mid-June on into July, um, he went a full 95 straight time. So um, he's got decent pedigree. He's a good right back. And I don't see any way that he won't be starting if he's healthy. So, um, And then, Napoon, I'll let you talk about, I'll let you talk about another guy, uh, Juan Guerra, who looks like is close to being finalized as a new Indy 11 player. But um, yeah, the reason I'm focused on the back line is I had a story earlier this week. And if you missed it, go check that out at socktakes.com. But um, last year, the Indy 11 had the worst defense in the entire NASL conceded 56 goals. Um, they were just hemorrhaging goals. And there's not really one guy to point the finger at. It was basically a group effort. And I know even before um, Hankinson was let go, and we made all these new signings. Uh, the conversations we had, I think we all were in agreement that no matter how much you love those guys that were back there, just given the results, you almost had to gut that defense, uh, to be honest. If you want to be a competitive team, they simply were not getting the job done. So um, I even said before that I said I would personally gut the whole defense. So 
love it or hate it, that's what needed to be done. You know, Rennie, I, I think I think it's a savvy move. His first order of business, he got the job. Oh, my, my defense was the worst in the league last year. So he made that priority number one. That's kind of what my story's about. And I like the moves he, he's made so far. I think, the, um, you know, the first three players you sign, um, not counting guys that were re-signed from last year, but you bring in two starting quality defenders and a guy with plenty of experience to come off the bench as well. So I like what Rennie has done um, to start with, although, you know, it doesn't, I don't find any comfort in seeing some of the guys that we've grown attached to departing the club, but you know, you give up 56 goals last year in what, 32 games. And it's just not acceptable. So I think he's doing the right thing. I think he's off to a great start and, I'm hoping that this Indy 11 roster um, continues to, to take shape. Um, so, Napoon, can you talk a little bit about uh, Juan Guerra? We will in a second, but I wanted to ask, because uh, you brought up the exits, and I wanted to ask Aaron. Aaron is the one that keeps the finger on the pulse with how fans are reacting in Indianapolis. And while I think fans were happy to see three incoming players, KJ hinted at the exits, and the exits that became official – uh, Nemanja Vukovic, uh, Marco Franco. Of course, last week it was Eamon and Colin um, and John Bush. So in the last 10 days, those basically the, the back line, is, as Aaron hints at, uh, we've lost those players officially now. So Aaron, how are the fans reacting? What are your thoughts on the exits of, of those said players? Like you guys have talked about, we knew that there was going to be some carnage in this offseason, whether it was because of player performance or because it was speak, uh, having to do with player contracts and, and league switching and USL, NASL stuff. We knew there was going to be trouble and some familiar names and faces were, were not going to be with us in 2018. Happy that there's a team, but there are some very lovable players that are not going to return. I mean, Marco Franco has done absolutely nothing wrong in my eyes nothing to warrant being you know let go or not offered a contract and and there were other players that the people loved maybe it was time for them to move on maybe their salaries didn't match up with the requirements for indy 11 every single player that i've seen that has uh bid farewell to the city has received an amazing outpouring of love and support on twitter i mean just go search any one of those players colin falvey Eamon zayed Marco Franco, John Bush, Nemanja Vukovic even. We knew that the defense didn't hold up its end of the bargain, but it raises another question, and I'm not even going to go into it. I'm just going to bring it up. If the players were so bad and had to go, then why did the coach also have to go? Moving on. <laughs> Keep going. Moving on. Um, Marco Franco was an Ironman two seasons ago, has started almost every game he's been available for. He is one that I think absolutely deserved to be with the team. Kevin Venegas has big shoes to fill coming in. He is a player that, as Kevin mentioned, only had six starts last season. One of those starts was in the opening days for Minnesota United, so it's a little too tough to judge. But I think he did allow five goals or something like that and was deemed completely outclassed in MLS, which is why he didn't see the light of day for several more months. Um, that's one I'm going to watch very closely. Because why why are you bringing in players that we don't know when we had lovable, likable players already on the roster? The the questions about Nomani Vukovic, I mean, everybody loved him. 
as as an exciting attacking player, everybody understood also that he was a defensive liability from time to time. When teams game plan for Nemanja Vukovic, it was not how do we attack a defensive beast like this. It's how do we trick him and suck him out of the backfield so that we can exploit the space behind him. That was that was his major weakness. Obviously, super striker, shirtless Vuko. <laughs> Uh, something something to behold actually to be to be fair to him and i give him this compliment all the time he was one of the only players on the roster who could actually make a defender miss so he wasn't afraid to take somebody on head to head and he was actually given the skill to get past his own defenders however didn't make it back on defense enough Dupun, i don't know if i've answered your question or just rambled yeah. about other things but um that's how, how, how do you think fans basically are- all the players leave and get, are getting love uh, how the fans reacting to the incoming players? They're they're reacting pretty well, actually. I think I think that when you consider, as Kevin mentioned on the podcast, there's pedigree. You can you can track and you can see where some of these players are coming from. You can see that you know even though maybe they didn't have the most experience in the last year, they still come from a place of professional soccer. They're not nobodies. Uh, that being said, it does raise one very interesting question. We all thought USL was supposed to be younger. And so while it made sense for MD11 to drop players at the upper end of the age limit, like John Bush or Falvey and, and Zion, and I say drop, that's the wrong terminology. Their contracts are not renewed or they didn't offer contracts. But uh, MD11 will not be retaining the services of some of their oldest core members, but then they're also bringing in players of what age is Kevin? They're bringing in players where the, the age is 28, 29, 30, or something like that. So um, that's a little perplexing for me. But as far as the fans getting excited about new players, they absolutely are. They wanted to see any players. You know, every day it's it's roster watch and, and fans just begging for anybody. I think you name a player that has feet and just stepped on a soccer field before, the fans are going to get excited about it. Because right now the number is four. You have one striker. And three defenders. So keep naming players, Ursal Ozdemir, if you're listening, and uh, your your fans will love you for it. Oh yeah, and the striker, of course, uh, the, the club re-signed, not resigned, but re-signed Justin Braun. Um, a player that will be announced this week uh, is Juan Guerra, uh, a player that played for uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies and then New York Cosmos last year. Um, a very good holding midfielder, very very good on the ball hardworking, gives his all. Um, their question, I, I have personally criticized him on Twitter and I'll continue to do so for his antics on the field. His, uh, <laughs> his, his, let's see, was, so I, I made the comparison actually today to a, a friend of ours, um, Sarah Kuklish on, on via text, that he reminds me a lot of Luis Suarez. He's the kind of player you <laughs> love when he's on your team. He's talented. He's very, you know, he's a very good player. But, he will happily kick someone, you know, elbow someone, uh, bite someone, and then fall down as if he's the one that's got hurt. Um, so that has always bothered me about Juan Guerra. Last year, he happened to get two Puerto Rico FC players sent off in the same game with uh, something like that. He helped get Brad Rings either with a send-off or a yellow card in the 3-3 draw between Indy 11 and Near Cosmos. So those are questions that I will continue to criticize him for but that's just my own thing i think most average fans don't care as long as you know 
as long as he's playing well, they couldn't care less if he was an idiot. So I'm happy for the club. I think they've made a very good signing uh, in Juan Guerra. Um, and it is, I think it is one of at least a couple more central midfielders, well, at least one more central midfielder that uh, Martin Rennie is looking at. Um, the names I'm hearing behind the scenes that uh, are very exciting, at, a few of them are very exciting, uh, players that our listeners and our uh, and people who have watched the NASL will recognize and will appreciate. Um, and we're hoping, you know, I'm hoping those things come true because as uh, Aaron points out, the, the, the squad is uh, very sh- short on names and players right now. But I'm telling you guys, I think this will be an exciting week for Indy 11. I think we'll have maybe three to four player signings, and we'll have, uh, you know, the the announcement, the announcement that we've all been waiting for in terms of uh, a destiny. Uh, sorry, a stadium. So I think this will be a, a a week that many Indy 11 supporters will finally start to feel a little more comfortable about the um, upcoming uh, USL season. Yeah, I mean, the the timeline on this is just insane. You know, um, Rennie told Aaron and I that he expects his boys to report to training on February 7th. That is exactly 10 days from today. So you look at what do we have? I'm thinking it might be sooner than that, by the way. I'm thinking they might have to be reporting earlier, but I, I cannot confirm that. Yeah, so, I mean, probably 10 days at the latest. And we've only seen, what, four official announcements and three new guys plus Braun. Maybe I'm missing another official re-signing. But, so only four official guys on the roster confirmed. And guys are going to be supposedly at training and, you know, signed in 10 days or less. So the timeline is just remarkable on this thing. And, yeah, without a doubt, we're going to see just so much news coming out of the team. Uh, you know, uh, so... It's going to be a very busy week, probably a, a very busy next week. Um, and one thing I'd like to, if you guys have any more thoughts on, on Indy 11, we can go back to them. But uh, um, if time allows, I'd love to talk and try to wrap our head around this whole mix discarude to Manchester City, the, the news that broke this morning. So uh, this thing is just completely mind-blowing to me, and uh, I'll let you guys talk on it, touch on it first, and then I'll share my thoughts after. But... Um, what do you? What did you guys make of of this discarude to Man City news? Well, since um, my opinion will be the least informed, I should go first, and then you guys can fill in. <laughs> I heard about this story from you both before the podcast started recording. That's how fresh this is. That's how hot this sock takes episode is. As the news happens, you hear it here on Sock Takes. Socktakes.com. Well, this, the news broke yesterday, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, so the news broke yesterday, and I haven't checked Twitter because I was playing Candy Crush Saga, and I was a little bit busy. Uh, Mixed Discrewed is a player that I I know only from United States national team play, and while I think he's performed admirably at times, he's not a player that I think has a place on that Man City roster. So this is a head-scratcher for me. Again, I've only had 45 minutes to really consider this. Uh, maybe Napoon can offer some better insight uh, as to what Man City might be thinking with this type of pickup. I mean, man, I can talk about the Man City side. I think KJ is better place to talk about the NYCFC and mixed disc route side. But, okay, this is a player that ha- has no business being anywhere close to the squad of Manchester City. Manchester City is a brilliant footballing team 
arguably in the top three in the world. Uh, and I don't, I mean, when I first saw this, by the way, to give you an idea of how absurd this was, when I first saw this yesterday on Twitter, I thought someone had hacked Umbro's account. I genuinely thought this was a, a piss take because it even now, 24 hours later, it makes absolutely no sense as to what Man City were thinking. And by the way, we have to say, it, as, as far as I know, it hasn't really been confirmed from Manchester City side. It's been, uh, they've not commented on it publicly or they've declined to comment. But assuming that it's true, I have to say that this is just begs of something that that basically reflects on the the relationship between New York City FC and Manchester City and on the recognition by Premier League clubs that signing a Premier League play, sorry, an American player taps into a huge market, a huge affluent soccer market that is still not anywhere close to being saturated. Uh, saturated. So that's so I think this is a commercial decision and I think this is just a decision that's a consequence of the relationship between New York City FC and Manchester City and it has absolutely nothing to do with soccer. Uh, soccer Twitter meets science Twitter, saturized. Uh, go ahead and define saturized for us. Saturized was wrong. I said saturated. I had to fix that. Uh, so I'm, I'm just messing with you, but it was fun for me, so just be quiet. And I'm going to read to you two headlines. I just Googled mixed discarude. Two headlines right next to each other, and we'll show you a little bit of the confusion that's, that's happening here. Just... Your laugh reactions to both headlines will be all that's needed, and then I'll pass it over to KJ. Reports. Manchester City win the battle to sign Mixed Discarude. <laughs> the battle. Winning the battle. As, as always, the PR battle, you know, the marketing battle, whatever it is. And then headline number two. Everyone is very confused after Umbro announced a new Man City signing. <laughs> That, that second headline, that, that's the headline of the weekend. That's, that gets the, the gold star, go home, and your parents can pat you on the back uh, type of headline. But what I make of this signing is that you know, certainly there's a, obviously a relationship there between Man City and NYCFC, but what I don't get is uh, there's a fractured relationship between Mixed Discord and NYCFC. You know, this is a U.S. national team pool player that fell out of favor with his club in MLS. He, he was Patrick Vieira, head coach of NYCFC, took him out of the rotation, and he was basically just wasting away on the roster. Um, and Vieira had pretty much no plans to use the guy. So he went back over to Europe. Um, and the thing about Discarude, he's a very skilled player, very technically gifted, great first touch, um, can dribble, pretty good vision. Uh, he's not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. What I see from him is a player who's soft. Not trying to knock the guy, you know, I'm not trying to rip him apart, but he just is not a very physical player. He can get pushed off the ball easily. He's not a great ball winner. Um, of course, you know, if, if you're in the middle of the pitch, you know, you're a CM, you got to win some balls in addition to your other qualities. So he's just not a great ball winner. He's not super aggressive. But he is very, very skilled. So I think just, you know, a league, maybe like the, the Dutch top flight that's more offensive and not quite as physical, just a, a league like that, that it's more of a finesse, um, attack-minded, high-scoring league, um, not known for physicality. I think that's the type of environment that a mixed disc uh will flourish in. So in trying to make sense of this signing, 
all I can really all I can really deduce from this is that Man City saw an opportunity maybe just to acquire an asset that was undervalued. So what I mean by that is I, I don't have the financial terms of the deal or anything in front of me if that's even been announced, but you know, they, they probably just saw that he was available for X number of dollars and they probably just thought, oh, on the open market, we'll be able to loan this guy out or, um, you know, transfer him for more. So I don't think there's obviously any plans that he'll ever really crack the 18 at Man City. But uh, I do think that it was just a move to acquire an asset um, to, to dispose of in the future or loan out and maybe get more money than they spent to acquire him. So. I'm still scratching my head. I, by no means do I know for sure that that's the answer, but that's kind of all I can I, I can really come up with in trying to make sense of this thing. The numbers weren't discussed, but it is a four and a half year deal. This is a no brainer. If you're mixed discarded, your stock as a player has gone up. Uh, I don't even know how to quantify that. Your stock has gone up significantly. For Manchester City, you're right. What is, what is the head scratching? decision-making process behind this what did you just gain what did you buy yeah these are questions that i don't know the answer to all i know is that it makes absolutely no sense to me and (laughs) in i think that's the best way to summarize uh tonight's episode most of the time when we record it makes no sense to anyone listening so having said that gentlemen absolute pleasure recording 39 with you uh aaron how can our people find you on twitter you can find me on Twitter at a gunyan. I'm normally in the comments of Napoon's tweets. KJ, you can find me at KJ Boxing on Twitter and Instagram. And quick thing I'll add: um, we've been meaning to shout out our patrons. We went a little overtime today, so next episode, all of our patrons are going to get a shout out. So be be sure to tune into that. Definitely. Uh, thank you, patrons. You can find me at Napoon Chopra Seven. Find the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can find uh, us on Twitter at SockTakes. Thank you for listening to episode 39 of the SockTakes pod.